Coming in this morning, I got, you could sense who got to bed a little bit early last night and some people who uh, would uh, appreciate a little extra, extra sleep this morning. Thought maybe as a, as a fundraiser for our parking lot, in the break time, instead of serving coffee, we'll auction cups of coffee up to everyone. That, uh, get, get, get a little uh, uh, pickup for, for everyone this morning and for uh, getting us started. Uh, Olympics in, in Pyeongchang are now over, and they say that it was the most successful Canadian showing at, at, uh, at a Winter Olympics ever, or at an, an Olympics ever, because in, in their Summer Olympics, we, we'd never have a, uh, a particularly glorious uh, uh, performance there. But somehow, without a gold medal in either men's or women's hockey, it doesn't really feel like, uh, it doesn't feel quite the same, right? It doesn't feel like, uh, what, what we might have hoped for. Uh, I was reading this week about a, an Olympian named Matt Emmons. And uh, Matt Emmons was a champion rifle shooter in uh, the 2004 Olympics. He, uh, he was uh, outstanding. And, and there are different, different kinds of, uh, uh, of rifle events in the Olympics. And his specialty was the three-position uh, rifle event, and he was absolutely spectacular. Uh, through the qualifying round, amazing. Into the final round, uh, seemingly unstoppable. In fact, the first nine out of his ten shots were so good that when he got to the tenth shot, he could basically close his eyes and take the shot. I mean, he was that far ahead. But he didn't close his eyes. He, he kept his eyes open. He took the shot and very easily nailed the target. Unfortunately, he nailed the wrong target. He was to have aimed and shot at lane three, and somehow, and this is very unusual, uh, doesn't happen in elite competition like this with, with this range, he actually, instead of aiming at, at, at uh, the third lane, he aimed at the second lane, nailed that target, but then re realized that he would get a mark of zero, and instead of walking home with a gold medal and the celebration and the excitement that goes along with it, he finished eighth. I fear that sometimes we do the same thing in the Christian life. We bring all of our dedication, all of our intensity, our best efforts and intentions, and yet sometimes we aim at the wrong target. And the consequences are devastating. Some people aim at the wrong, wrong target in the way that they approach the Christian life. So they, they, they think that the way that you start off a relationship with God and, and carry out a relationship with God is by bringing their, their best efforts, their best moral, uh, moral achievements, their, their best efforts to maintain various religious traditions. But the Bible teaches that that's the wrong target. We cannot please God by what we do because none of us measure up. We've all missed the mark. We have all failed to, uh, to, to keep God's standard. And so if we're coming to him on the basis of what we do, the Bible says we'll be disappointed. The consequences are, uh, are that we will face judgment. But many people, and many of you have come to realize that. You know that. 
you know that the way that you start the Christian life is through faith in Christ alone. It's not through your works or accomplishment. You know that. And yet, many people still aim at the right, wrong target in how they live the Christian life. They try to live the Christian life on the basis of their self-discipline, on the basis of their dedication, maybe on the basis of the depth of their surrender. And we use different words to describe it, but at the end of the day, it is about us and what we have done and what we can accomplish. And that's how we try and live the Christian life. You know this is true because when you ask someone how, thing, how, how things are going spiritually, what's the answer that you get nine times out of ten? The person will list the things that they do or don't do. Uh, I haven't been to, to prayer meeting recently because things have been really busy at work. I, I got started with my E100 reading, but I kind of... I got, I got just hard getting up in the morning and I kind of got bogged down, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. I'm going to get back on track. Or, or people will, will talk about, uh, they'll, they'll come in, I, I was late for my shift in the nursery this morning because of daylight savings time, but it won't happen again. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be more diligent. And we talk about what we do and what we don't do. And we view our our relationship with God largely on the basis of those things. Now, those may or may not be symptoms of the condition of our Christian life, but they're certainly not the target. That is certainly not the, the core, the engine, the heart of how we live the Christian life. The Bible says that the way that we live the Christian life is the same way that we start the Christian life, by faith. The Christian life, life has begun in faith and it continues in faith. Faith is the target. And when we aim at anything else, the consequences are devastating. So how do you actually do that? How do you actually live the Christian life by faith? How do you stay on that target? How do you know if you're living the Christian life by faith? Because often, it, often it's a question of, I don't really know what's going on in my heart. People don't consciously say, I'm going to, I'm going to live by works righteousness. No, nobody says that. But yet it's often a part of, of how, how we do things, how we approach things. So how do you know how you are, uh, how you are living the Christian life? Those are some of the questions that I believe our passage this morning addresses. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And uh, we'll, we'll be reading from verses 1 to 14, but I'm going to just start off with verses 1 to 5 this morning. Galatians 3, verses 1 to 5. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I believe the target for how we live the Christian life is sketched out for us in these opening verses. The Christian life is lived by gospel faith. Our faith in what Jesus has done, what he's done for us, what he's done on behalf of us, our believing in that becomes the basis for how we live the the Christian life. It becomes the center of how we live as Christians. Christian life is lived by gospel faith. Now, you get an impression early on in this chapter that something's not right in Galatia. And we've been seeing this all through the letter. Paul's, uh, Paul's blood pressure has been boiling a little bit as he has been excited and a little bit uptight. The Phillips paraphrase of the uh, opening verse here is brilliant. It says, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, how could you be so idiotic? Uh, that's just... That's just the vernacular, right? That's just, if you, if you want to clean it up and make more flowery language, that's kind of what, what's being said here. Paul's beside himself because they're aiming at the wrong target. He's saying what Matt Emmons wished people had said to him when he was aiming at lane three. You want someone to tell you when you are off, off base because it's not like you're not bringing some effort to the game. It's not like you're bringing some, some, some energy and preparation and with a desire to hit the target. When he says, who has bewitched you? He's actually using the language of magic arts. It's like somebody has put a spell on them and he just, he can't, can't get over it. He can't understand what it is that has caused them to start off one way and just completely done a 180. That's because they've heard the message. He says, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. They had heard a moving account of exactly what Jesus had done, his death on the cross, and that it was for them, on their behalf. And they had come to understand all that that implies. It heard and received a clear message of Jesus' death for them. But now, somehow, they were living as if that death on the cross for them didn't make any difference. Somehow, as if it wasn't enough. Now look at Paul's questions in verse 3. Between verses 2 and 6, he actually asks five questions in a row. And if you have ever been in talking with someone and without waiting for an answer, they just give you one question after another, after another. You know to kind of back up and sit quietly and, and something's going on. You know that something is, is, uh, is happening. He's stunned by, by what's, what's gone on in Galatia and he wants some answers. So in verse 3 he asks, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I want you to take a moment and just let those words sink in. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? When we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. 
He gives us new desires. He gives us new power. He gives us new direction in how to, how to, how to live, how to walk in, in a way that would honor God. He gives us also new awareness of our heart's condition. And as we walk by the power of the Spirit, we realize it all rests on him. It's all his strength. It's all on the basis of what Jesus has done. And there's a sense of, of confidence and strength and hope and even rest in that. We follow his initiative in our lives by faith. But what can happen is that that dynamic breaks down. Over time, the Holy Spirit reveals more of our life than we may have cared to, to know of. And sometimes as we become more aware of the condition of our heart, it feels like more than what, what we can handle. Instead of confronting the sin, dealing with it, like we did when we first believed, instead of confessing it and say, yeah, oh, I know that's wrong, I got to deal, you know, I need to put that behind me and, and yes, I'm, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to trust that you give me the power to live this life and make this change. Instead of doing that, we think, boy, that, I'm, not sure I, I'm not sure I could do that. I'm not sure I, sure I want to change that area of my life. And so we do something very subtle at that point. We respond in unbelief to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And we do something else instead. We do penance instead. We do some kind of little moral or religious work that we think, I, I, I don't believe God enough to make the change in the life that I think he's asking me to do, but I'll do this instead to show that I'm still kind of okay. I'm still kind of in the game. Although we began by faith, now we're living by works. Another thing that can happen is that the Holy Spirit can at first begin to lead us and guide us and he gives us new desires and leads us to do new things. And at first it feels very exciting. At first it feels like, wow, God's at work in my life and, and I'm responding to him and he's changing me and, and, and all of that feels very exciting. But then he asks us to do something that we don't believe we could do. It just seems too much. He's leading us in a direction that kind of feels like, wow, I don't, I'm not sure I've, I've got, you know, all that it takes to do that. I can't, not sure I can trust you in this area. If you were reading in the E100 this week, you saw this with Moses, right? Moses said, I want you, God said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the entire world right now, and tell him to let all of, the, all of the Israelites who are now serving as slaves, tell them to let them go. And Moses hears that and says, here I am, Lord, send Aaron and give me a more manageable assignment, please, because I don't think I could do that. I, I've never been very good at speaking. And God says, well, who made your mouth? And he's like, I, I, you know, so he, he's, he begins bargaining with God because he doesn't believe that he could do what God is asking him to do. It's unbelief. And often we'll do that. We'll balk at faith, then we'll feel guilty about it, and we'll do something else instead. Some work. Some 
duty or activity that still feels Christian, but is not, in this case, an act of obedience and faith. It is actually an act of unbelief and works righteousness. Although we started by faith, now we're living by works. It's not about what Jesus has done for us. It's not about what the Holy Spirit can do through us. It's just about us doing something to appease God and convince him, even though we're not going to believe him in this area of our lives, we're still okay. We're still in the game. Picking and choosing some moral and religious things that we can hold up to persuade God that we're okay is not the Christian life. It's not. It's something different. That's lane three or lane two when you're supposed to be aiming at lane three. It's a different religion. And yet that's exactly how we often live. Verse 10 answers that mindset when it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If we're going to rest it on me, on what I can do to somehow appease God and hold him off, and in my unbelief, the Bible says we're under a curse. That's not the Christian life. Have you ever thought to yourself, there's no sense praying about this. You know, given where I'm at in my Christian life right now and the stuff that I'm doing, there's no way that God would ever listen to me. Ever say that? Or, or maybe the opposite. Maybe, have you ever said, I can't figure it out. I did all of the things I was supposed to do. I, everything that I felt God wanted me to do. And he didn't come through for me. I can't figure out why. Can you see that both of those responses come from the same heart of works righteousness? No, neither of those statements came from faith. Both of those statements said, if I'm not doing enough, God won't bless me. And the other statement said, I'm doing so much, God has to bless me and he has to do what I tell him to do. And neither of those statements are statements of faith. That's works righteousness. It's almost like we're programmed to think that God works in response to our moral achievement, even though we read again and again and again in the Bible, it's just not so. That's not how God works. Look at verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit? by works of the law, or by hearing with faith. The implication is, you received it, you received him by hearing with faith. It's about your faith. It's about how you respond to God in faith. But then look at verse 5. Does he who, present tense, supplies the Spirit to you, and present tense, works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Isn't that encouraging? Do you see what it says? We receive the Holy Spirit when we listen to the gospel with faith. But then he pours out more and more of the Holy Spirit's power and work in our lives as we do enough stuff to impress him. No, as we hear with faith 
God does miracles among us, it says, when we listen to Him with faith. It's our heart response of faith to Him. Will we trust Him? God wants us to live our lives listening to Him and responding to Him. And whenever we choose to instead offer Him unbelief and offer up some religious duty instead to kind of hold him off and keep him at bay to ease our conscience and make us feel like we're okay. We have abandoned faith and we have chosen works righteousness. We've chosen a different religion. That's why it's never just about the duty. It's never just about the action. It's always about a heart of faith. Notice how Hebrews 4.2 puts it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. I'm, I'm not sure that we really grasp that. The verse is saying that there are some people who came to Grace Baptist Church today who will, in their unbelief, do more harm than good by coming to Grace Baptist Church today. If you combine what you hear with faith and respond, you'll grow. If, however, you don't respond in faith, the verse says it won't benefit you. It doesn't really do much good. But it actually can do more harm than good in this way. If you came to church today and said, wow, that whole like responding to what God says in faith and actually trusting him and responding thing, wow, that's way over the top. I couldn't do that. But at least I came to church this morning. That's got to count for something, right? That's the attitude. That is a different religion. It's not Christianity. Hear the message of Hebrews 4.2. No benefit. It does not help. It is not doing us any good. The target is faith because God's looking for our trust. And duty is a poor substitute. So the Christian life is lived by gospel faith. But some people were kind of getting thrown off in Galatian. They were thinking, they were being told and, and starting to believe, maybe this is just kind of an, a, a, new, a new thing, a, a New Testament thing. Maybe this seemed to come out of thin air. Maybe this is, maybe it's not true. Maybe this isn't right, what we've been taught. And it feels too abstract for many people. So Paul will take them back to the very beginning. He'll take them back to Abraham. And he's going to flesh it out and help them to understand what he means by this hearing with faith. We learn that the Christian life is lived by Abraham faith. And that defining the target isn't something new. This isn't a new idea. He's showing this goes right back to the beginning. The Christian life is lived by Abraham faith. Listen to what it says in verses 6 to 10. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, to those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, 
Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now when it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, it's, it's a quote from Genesis 15.6. Paul wasn't just proof texting and pulling out a text out of thin air thinking, oh, this will bolster my argument. I'll mention this verse. This was the central verse in the most foundational covenant in, in all of Scripture. It starts with Abraham, and this is God at the center of God's covenant with Abraham. When it says that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, the implication is that when God looked at Abraham's life, he didn't see righteousness. He didn't say, wow, look at the moral performance of this guy. He didn't see that. He realized that Abraham, like you and like me, he didn't measure up. He had fallen short. He had missed the mark. He wasn't righteous. But on the basis of his faith, God considered him righteous. He treated him as righteous, and yes, he credited righteousness to him. That's not the same as saying Abraham's faith was righteousness. It's not saying, boy, that Abraham was really righteous because of, look at his faith. It's not saying that. It's saying that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, he received God's righteousness. Notice also that it doesn't say Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Can you see the difference? It wasn't just that Abraham believed that God exists. Sometimes Christians think that God saves people because they're not atheists. That's not what it's saying. It doesn't say he believed in God and and he credited it to him as righteousness. The fact is, Abraham didn't just believe in God. He believed God. He trusted God. His primary orientation of his life was in faith, trust in him. He didn't just believe that God exists. He trusted in the promise. He trusted that what God says is true. Verse verse 8 actually says that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. He heard good news and he believed it. He heard the promise of the blessing. He was given a promise that God would bless him and that through his offspring, all nations would be blessed. Abraham believed that promise. He trusted God even when all of the circumstances would say, that this is craziness. I couldn't possibly imagine this in a, in a million years But God says it, and I will trust him. He believed the promise, and it was that faith in God and and his promise that that, that counted him as righteousness. Often people will offer God duty as penance for their lack of faith. But Abraham's faith leads to obedience beyond mere self-discipline. The difference couldn't be more clear between someone who says, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to like fully trust God, but, but I, I could, surely I could do a little bit to help him out. I could, 
I could do a few things. Take a look at what, what Abraham faith looks like. He, he hadn't been given the law. He hadn't given all the rules. God said, I'd like you to uh, leave your family, your nation, um, everything familiar, and I'd like you to go to a place that you've never heard of, and uh, uh, I'd just like you to follow me there. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That, that's Abraham faith. Abraham did obey God, but his obedience wasn't just a little bit of penance. It wasn't just, okay, I'll, I'll do these things, God, because I kind of feel badly. It was a fundamental trust of his life towards God that said, I, I don't know what's next. I don't know how this all works, but I trust you. I trust what you're telling me is good. I trust that your plan is good. I will follow you. That's Abraham faith. He wasn't just trying to do his duty for God. He genuinely trusted him with his life. When God called him to offer up his son as a sacrifice, like, how do you motivate someone to do that? Like, he has been waiting for decades for this child. He's only got one. And God says, take him to Mount Moriah and I'd like, him, I'd like you to offer him up to me as a sacrifice. Where's the rule book that would convince someone to do that? That was not an act of penance. It was not an act of duty. It wasn't like, oh, I guess I feel obligated. I better do this. It was a fundamental trust in God that says, I, I don't get this, but I trust you. I believe in you and what you've called me to. Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11.17 makes it clear, this wasn't an act of duty, it was an act of faith. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, off, offered up Isaac. It wasn't just his self-discipline. You're not supposed to stand back and say, wow, he's really moral. <laughs> You're supposed to say, God's, God asked him to do something impossible and he trusted God. He trusted that God's way was better than his own. When Abraham met Melchizedek, he's a priest of God most high. Abraham hadn't been taught about how to, how to deal with your finances. He hadn't taken the cap course. Okay? He, hadn't, he hadn't learned about, about all of the rules of, of, of how to respond wisely with your finances. But he met the priest of, most high, priest of the most high God and in gratefulness and awe towards God, he gave a tenth of all that he had. Gave a tenth of all of his possessions, handed, handed over in one shot. Again, it wasn't an act of duty. People don't do that out of guilt, obligation, or a little whim of charity. It was an act of his trust in God. I trust you with my finances the way I trusted you with my child, the way I've trusted you with my, my plans and my dreams. I trust you, God. He kept saying that to God. He kept responding in faith. Some of you are dealing with sin issues that aren't really sin issues. They're not just sin issues. They're really trust issues. 
more fundamentally, they are a question of do you and will you trust God in your life? And because you're seeing them as your obedience issues, as your duty issues, you're missing the target. Do you trust what God says about contentment and gratefulness? Do you trust what God says about your sexuality? Do you trust what God says about tithing and your finances? Do you trust what God says about the body of Christ and the gifts that he's given you to serve? Do you trust what God says is good? Do you trust that God's plan is good? Do you trust that God can be trusted? Too many Christians refuse to trust God and give him their duty as penance instead. And that is not Christianity. When Paul pointed to gospel faith, some people said, oh, maybe that's just a new covenant. Maybe that's just a new thing. And so he pointed to Abraham faith. But then some people said, well, that's just before the law. Maybe after the law that came with Moses, maybe it's different. And so he finally pointed to Habakkuk faith. The faith proclaimed to a prophet after the law was given. After all that had been revealed to Moses was, was, was made known. And he proclaims again that the Christian life is lived by Habakkuk faith. Let's read the, the, the uh, final part of our chapter, Galatians, uh, or our passage. Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, Many of you know Abraham a whole lot more than you know Habakkuk. So let's just look a little bit at the context here. Habakkuk was a prophet who ministered in Judea before the Babylonian exile. And he had a problem. And it's a problem that many of you have living in Canada in the 21st century. He looked around and he said, there's an awful lot of sinful people around here. And he said, that's, that's, kind of, that's my biggest problem. But my second problem is, is kind of like it. We've got some awfully sinful leaders. And he said, God, I've been praying to you about these sinful people and these sinful leaders for a long time now, and it seems like you're not listening to my prayers. And God actually answered him. And he said, actually, Habakkuk, like, I'm way ahead of you. I've got, a, I've got a whole plan to deal with all this. What I'm going to do, you know, you know those really sinful people, the Babylonians? and their like really ruthless army, I'm going to bring them in here and destroy everything. In fact, they're going to they're overrun Jerusalem and bring down the temple, and it's going to be like exactly what you're asking for. And at which point, Habakkuk kind of steps back and said like, whoa, that, surely that can't be your plan, God. Like, do you know how wicked those people are? They're even worse. You couldn't use such sinful people to accomplish your plan, surely. 
And God says, that's exactly what my plan is. And God answered him in part with Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And it says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. He's making a couple of points there. First of all, Habakkuk faith is contrasted with proud self-reliance. When he says, behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. He's talking about Babylon and, and, and more specifically, probably the king of Babylon. And he's saying, if you think that he's, he's proud and, and self-serving and independent, you're, you're right, and that's the exact opposite of the life of faith. Somebody who is confident in themselves and trying to live independently like that, that's, that's the exact opposite. And, and if you see, when I say it's not, up, it's not upright within him, the, the sin that you see in his life, the, the, the wickedness that you hear about the Babylonians, it's all completely true. So he affirms that. But then God adds the second part. It's true that Babylon was as bad as Habakkuk thought they were, but then God adds, but the righteous shall live by his faith. He's saying, remember, just because you think you're a little more moral than they are, that doesn't mean that you get to dictate how I run the world. It doesn't mean that you get to dictate what circumstances are like or what they're not like. The righteous life is a life lived trusting God, believing in Him, believing in His plan. That's how the righteous have always related to God. They take Him in His word. They live by faith. And they will live by that faith. And, and His words were particularly powerful because when Babylon did come in and they did overrun Jerusalem and they did bring in the terrible judgment, God continued to speak to Israel. He continued to give them hope and direction and specific words which the righteous trusted. They said, I don't know, our world seems to be falling apart. I don't get it. I don't understand all that's going on, but I will trust you, God. I will trust your word. I will trust what you say. And they did what God told them to do in the midst of circumstances they couldn't possibly have understood, and God led them in peace. But the stubborn did what the stubborn always do. The stubborn heard God's words and said, I don't understand this. I think I'm going to do it my way. I think I'm going to not reject this. I'm I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to trust God. I'll continue to do a little bit of religious penance. I'll, I'll do a little bit of moral and religious duty to keep him appeased. I don't want him to think that I'm not okay, but I won't trust him. And for them, the consequences were painful. Habakkuk faith trusts God in the darkest of circumstances. And so my question for you this morning is, are you aiming at the right target? Living as a follower of Jesus Christ is in one sense very simple. We start by admitting our sin, We confess with God, I agree with you, God. I trust you. My life has fallen short. I've missed the mark. 
and I will now turn from what you call sin, and I will turn to Jesus Christ in faith, and I receive your Holy Spirit. As we do that, the Holy Spirit begins to change us. He begins to move within us. But the way we start the Christian life is the way we continue to live the Christian life. We never move on from trusting God. Like that was, that was the ABCs and now I'm kind of in graduate level Christianity. Now it's all about my performance. We just keep on moving in the same direction. But too often we will balk at faith and give God duty instead. We refuse to trust him in an area of our life and we just do moral or religious penance. And so I want to encourage you to really examine your life this morning. Are you living a life of faith? Can you say with certainty, I am trusting God with my life? Or are you mostly doing just moral and religious things that you can hold up to persuade God, I'm okay. I'm still in the camp. I'm still in the, the, the right group. Is the time that you spend with God a reflection of your trust in him? Or is it more like penance? Is the way that you use the gifts that God has given you to serve a reflection of your faith in God? Your trust in his plan and what he calls you to. If someone were to sit down and look at your finances and the percentage, of, uh, percentage that you give joyfully and gladly to God in light of his word, would someone say, wow, I can see this person really trusts God with their money. Would someone say that of you? Or would they say it looks like a little bit of religious obligation? Does your contentment with your life express your trust in God? Does it say, I, I trust God with, with my circumstances, with, with what's happening in my life. I, I trust that God is at work here, and I, I trust him. He, he, he's good. He can be trusted. God invites us to trust him, to trust him with our relationships, to trust him with our sexuality, to trust him with our circumstances, to trust him with our careers, with our dreams, with our hopes, all of that. He asks us to put our trust in him. And he really wants us to walk with him by faith. And he credits that faith as righteousness. So let's look to him in prayer. Let's call, him in, call on him in faith. Heavenly Father, we're amazed that you would count our simple faith in Jesus Christ as righteousness. And because of that, we can look to you and we can respond to you honestly, ask you for help and for strength. Help us to see our lives as you see them. I pray that there wouldn't be anyone here this morning who would go home still aiming at the wrong target. We may have been off track, but help us to have the courage to admit, I've, I've been aiming in the wrong place and I'm missing the mark. 
but I put my trust not in my own performance, but in Jesus Christ, all that he's done for me and all that he calls me to. Help us, Father, to listen to you and to your word with faith. Deliver us from our unbelief and deliver us from the substitutes of duty. For we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.